Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. Today we're talking Kevin's pick, which is Snow Falling on Cedars. Just a really bizarre choice, I think, because it's just a forgotten... It's it's weird because it, I was going to wait, but I mean, it, it's like it's forgotten because nobody ever talks about this movie, right? But I feel like... I've seen the cover of the movie a thousand times. Mm, same. And I, I've, I'm very aware of it, but nobody... I've never met anybody who's seen it. I don't know anybody on Letterboxd who'd seen it. I wasn't even aware that what it was about at all. As if you guys were listening last week, I thought it was uh, Cider House Rules when he said... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no Falling on Cedars. So, just a really, uh, really strange, strange film. By Scott Hicks, starring Ethan Hawke. We'll get to that. And uh, other stuff we watched will be talked about as well. How are you guys doing today? Cool. <laughs> Been uh, getting over a cold for the last two weeks. so oh, Perfect yeah, timing. Nice. Perfect yeah. timing. You've, you've got a cold. I'm sleepy. This is going to be great. I feel great. So. <laughs> so pick up your slack. Um, <laughs> alright, well, uh, you know, there's nothing to really discuss, uh, trailer-wise, mm. you know? I mean, the Eternals trailer dropped. You guys into this? New, nah. uh, Chloe Zhao Marvel collaboration? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'm gonna see it just like I see all of them. Okay, so not interested then. I got it. I got you. You are not interested. I see. Okay, I guess we have to talk about Last Night in Soho, though. Because this is one that uh, JR seemed very excited about. Because of the... Why again? Why are you excited about this? This is the new Edgar Wright film, by the way. Because it looked like a, a fun horror movie, and it has two of my favorite actresses in it. Yeah, that's. I wanted to talk to you about that. Two of your favorite actresses. Who are yeah, the so actresses again? What? Anya Taylor Joy, and yeah. who's Thomason McKenzie? Like who? She was in Leave No Trace. So based mm. on that performance, she, she's one of your favorite yeah, actresses. She was in, she was incredible. <laughs> Come yeah. on, she's absolutely incredible. She's also in um, the the Nazi comedy I don't love. Jojo uh, Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was fine in that. Yeah. She's also in uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. Yes. Mm. Which I, I've seen. I did like her in that. <clears throat> but I'm 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 with her forever based on Leave No Trace. <laughs> that's so <laughs> that's so extreme. With her forever. Oh, she was in The King also. She played Queen Philippa of Denmark in The King. Mm. I don't remember that at all. I don't 
either. I don't the, remember her. The being. king was the king was such a drag. <laughs> she was in. She's in that new uh, Shyamalan film, which is another trailer that dropped this week. Old. Oh, I didn't watch that trailer. So you Me must either. be all about old, also, right, Jr. I yeah, I, I need to watch that. As soon as we're done recording, I'll watch the old trailer and then I'll go see it whenever. I, I assume that's coming out like this month or next month. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably. Who gives a shit? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's probably coming out. I would imagine it's coming out in June because um, they're dropped because they'd had the teaser a few months ago and now they have this big uh, mm. full length trailer. But I'll tell you, last night in Soho, the trailer's just not doing a lot for me. And I think it's a little bit of a a, uh, a problem of, it's very like, what do you call it, uh, referential to other cinema, yeah. which yeah. does not sit well with me, because I don't know why. Because I know Edgar Wright's like a movie head, I get mm. it. And he's always like, you know, talking about his favorite films of all time, and I know he loves Polanski and everything, but like, it's just... It's a little bit too much. And the whole, like, female, like, the dichotomy or whatever between two female, like, the persona thing, I just feel like that's been done to death. I'm not saying that there's not something new going on in this movie. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. But I'll tell you, the one thing I did like was that shot of the Thunderball uh, poster thing outside on the marquee. Mm -hmm. That looked great. That must have cost a fortune. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, mean, I don't often love movies that are just like spot the reference i did not like edgar wright's last movie um no. baby driver you know i this movie could suck i i'm willing to accept that it could suck but i really enjoyed this trailer and i'm excited to to see like i think that i enjoy maybe i enjoy this genre more than like the baby driver genre anyway Mm. so maybe i'm just gonna like lap up this uh psychological thriller shit Mm. but we'll see yeah because like i was definitely getting like like i know he like he talks a lot about um uh the reg movie don't look back and like i was definitely getting a lot of that in this trailer so i think I mean, if if nothing else, it it gives me faith that he'll he's made a better movie than Baby Driver because I remember going into Baby Driver thinking like, okay, it doesn't look like really my cup of tea, but it's Edgar Wright, so I'll give it a shot. And then like being in the theater and be like, this is not good. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I feel like um, you know it's, it's funny you mentioned Don't Look Back because you know he did the uh, he did that fake trailer in death in a grindhouse right for don't yes <laughs> <laughs> which was a great one of the great trailers in that uh of all of those but anyway but yeah i i mean i agree it's got to be better than baby driver i'm not disagreeing mm. with you guys there and it definitely looks like it's taking itself a little more seriously than his films usually do mm. like it's definitely darker than you know i mean obviously he's coming from comedy so mm. but uh and i'm always interested in somebody trying something new so uh because baby driver you know as much as it wants to be a, a crime film which it is i suppose but you know it's definitely still like a goofy action comedy sort of mm. so 
with terrible performances and John Hamm is the worst. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's get into what we watched, I guess. All right. Who wants to begin? I'll begin. Um, Kevin. So the other day I was bouncing around the uh, streaming sites, not sure what to watch. And then I came across the French connection. I was like, "Eh, let me check this out again. And you know, like I've seen the French connection a lot and I like look, looking at it now is very like, Oh, that's what they're talking about. Or like, you know, just little, little things that I hadn't, hadn't noticed before. Like, like the scene where they're listening to the couple argue about, uh, you know, where am I going to get a pizza this late at night? I was like, Oh, like they're obviously not listening to the couple like Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider are just playing a game of cards and having fun, you know, on their own and like freaking, I guess, recorded the conversation later on or whenever and put it in. Uh, Hmm. But um, I don't know, like the movie, like. Yeah. And then another thing that I really, really noticed was like the the car chase. Like, you know, you, you see car chases and like it's clearly, you know, it's very obvious that like, you know, they they blocked off a section of wherever they're filming and like, you know, hey, we're going to be doing this. We've got stunt drivers. It's very obviously not the case in the French Connection. Like, people are just, like, crashing into each other. Like, shit is going haywire. And, <laughs> like, it, it it's was... very re- chaotic. Yes, very, very chaotic and very entertaining. Um, I think we're, like... I, I don't know. Like, I think where this movie kind of falls flat, like, it's very documentary, you know? I guess cinema verite, even though it's not French. Um... But I don't know. It just kind of, it's just kind of there, and I don't know if that's you know from having watched it so many times, or what. But like, you know, I gave it three and a half, and you know, like I like what's going on in the movie, but like at the same time, it's like not that exciting and like not that, um, you know, suspenseful or you know whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, and him, and a like film some is going to lose suspense because you, you know, when you've seen it as many times as you true. you have, right? True. And I, I was also reminded of the fact that, like, um, like I, the scene where uh, the sniper is like shooting at uh, Gene Hackman, like that's in um, ET. When ET is like flipping the TV channels, he come he comes across this scene from the French Connection, and like. The first time I saw the French Connection, I was like, "Oh, that's that that movie that he was watching." Um. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that. I haven't seen ET since I was like nine. Oh right. But yeah, and like one one other one other thing that I wanted to add, like um, like there's the um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, there's the part at the end where Gene Hackman is chasing down, uh, Chenier, I think is his name. The, the French guy, the French and, connection. Yeah. The act, the, the French <laughs> connection himself. Yeah. And like some dude steps into a doorway and Hackman just unloads his pistol. 
And then they find out that it's the, I guess he was like FBI or something like, uh, like the dude who's like been giving them grief the entire movie. Like he just gunned this guy down and like at the end of the movie, it's like, you know, Popeye and, uh, what's and Roy Scheider, uh, were taken off of narcotics and reassigned. Like he just straight up murdered a dude. I mean, or like at the very least, like manslaughter. Like he murdered another like law officer, and he was just reassigned. <laughs> like, hey, you know what? These, <clears throat> these are cops, you know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's a, he's uh, a good cop. They can't lose a want. they can't lose a good man. That's right, especially not in the seventies. <laughs> right. He's or late I, I, or late sixties, whenever this took place, you know. I I just remember um, the first, I I seen the movie twice, and the first time I didn't like it. <clears throat> I don't remember why, but I probably thought it was like an action movie, you know, and it wasn't an action movie, and I was like, well, mm. this movie sucks. Um, but the <laughs> second time, I really enjoyed it. The second time I watched it, I was more of like a watching it because of Friedkin, you know? Mm, and, uh, yeah. yeah, and, I, and I, I enjoyed it a lot more. And uh, But I, the, the thing that always, like, really rubs me the wrong way is uh, at the beginning when Hackman uses the N-word... Oh yeah, just yeah, yeah. Brutal. Like I just can't. Like it's just such a. It's out of nowhere. And I get it. Like in the context of like his character, he's a he's a racist. I mean, that's you know that's yeah, who yeah. he is, and it's based on his job and who, the people that you know the cops are harassing and stuff. But it's just so, it's just so egregious and like blatant when it happens when he says it. It's, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really rubs like, me the uh, wrong way. Yeah, and like. Part of me wants to go back and wa- like uh, watch the French Connection two, because uh, like Frankenheimer did it, but you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I do remember one line from French Connection two where like this French cop is just is yelling at Hackman, "What you think this is Harlem where you can just beat up black guys in the street?" <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, no problem." Pretty much, yeah. I uh, haven't seen the second one, but I. I have it. I have it downloaded. I downloaded it the last time I watched the first one, but uh, mm. yeah, I haven't seen this. Oh, it's got Fernand, Fernando Ray in it. Mm. I think I remember liking it. He's in the first one. Doesn't he get shot in the first one, Fernando Ray? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he he escapes. Oh, does he? I must be thinking of something else. Anyways, um, all right, cool. Well, uh, I'll I'll go next. I, uh, the last, uh, I don't know, week or so of my having to go to school and, like, be in the classroom, even though I have nothing to do, they still make you come, you know? (laughs) So I decided to watch, uh, the 1981 miniseries Masada, which is a (laughs) six-hour, which is a six-hour, uh, six-hour miniseries about the sea, the Roman siege of the Jewish, uh, fortress Masada. Um, and the reason why JR is because, uh, I grew up, in fact, I can prove it. Look at this. Let me get this out here. You don't, you don't need to prove anything. See this? This is the, uh, the VHS copy of Masada, the theatrical cut. So they took this six hour miniseries and they made a film out of it, which is two hours and 11 minutes. And this actually, they added nudity to this, I guess, to like sensationalize Brilliant. it for theaters yeah. or whatever. Because yeah. Barbara Carrera is in it, so she does a topless scene, 
which I was always confused about whenever I found out this was a miniseries. Because when I first watched this when I was a kid, I was like, oh, it's just a movie, you know? But mm. um, then you find out it's a miniseries for network television. You're like, well, how do they get those titties in there? It doesn't really make any sense. But anyway. So I watched the entire miniseries for the first time because I watched this film about a hundred times when I was a kid. We grew up in a religious household, and this was very... This is one of the things we were allowed to watch. So, <laughs> which is fascinating. Um, so, religious content or religious history content, but has boobs, mm-hmm. so is okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I mean, in retrospect, thinking of it as a person now, like if I was religious, I would have no problem with my kids seeing this movie, boobs and all, because I mean, well, boobs are boobs. I mean, people have boobs. What's the big deal? But you're, but you're not religious. <laughs> I know, and that's not how most religious people. Think. I know. Well, I don't, I'm not sure how closely they were paying attention to this whenever we were watching it. I don't know. But anyways, not the point. The point is that I watched the miniseries, all four episodes, 90-minute episodes, and it's just uh, it was just a blast, man. I had so much fun watching this thing again and seeing all this. Like, There's like a lot of uh, B and C and D storylines you know, that obviously are cut from this film version. And uh, Peter O'Toole plays the, the Roman general who's laying siege to Masada and Peter Strauss is like his his foil on the other side the Jewish leader of the zealots Elazar just really great acting between the two of them they have a couple of scenes together where they're you know just having like byplay word word battles and uh it's fantastic i don't know i really really enjoy masada i highly recommend watching it now what I would like to recommend. See, now if this, what I'm holding here, only exists in this form, VHS. Mm. If this was on DVD or Blu-ray, this would be a pick. This would probably be my pick for the next episode. Mm. But it doesn't exist on DVD or Blu-ray. But the miniseries does. The miniseries is on DVD, but not the not the theatrical cut. Very annoying. Anyway, if you're a fan of Peter O'Toole, you can't go wrong. Mm. You cannot go wrong. It makes me want to watch lots more stuff with him. Because, mm. like, I haven't seen, you know, the classics with Peter O'Toole. Like, Lawrence of Arabia and, uh... Lion in Winter? One? Yeah, Lion in Winter. Mm-hmm. And, uh... What's the one where he's a drunk? <laughs> uh, Real Life? No, not... Uh. not hang on. No, apparently he was a drunk in real life. <laughs> Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. That's yeah. funny. No, um, where he plays a, uh, an alcoholic, um, like an alcoholic actor. It's my favorite year. Oh, my favorite okay. year. And the ruling class. Like, I haven't seen any of this shit. I've seen barely anything with this guy in it. And he's fucking great in Masada. Mm. He's in Troy? See, I didn't even know he was in Troy. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I've never seen Troy. Really? Really? Hmm. Hmm. I really, I really missed out on like those mid two thousands sword swords and sandals uh, epics. Mm. Did you see three hundred? Yeah, three hundred is different. Uh, like I don't think of three hundred in the in the same way that I think of like Troy and Kingdom of Heaven. Mm. You didn't see Kingdom of Heaven? No. Oh my! Oh. You're missing out, bud. Not not really. I mean, those movies are. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah, I feel like the last review of Kingdom of Heaven you gave yeah. was not super positive. <laughs> I remember. I mean, I remember hating Troy too, coming out of it and just being like, "This fucking movie sucks." And I remember mm. being really excited going into it because David Benioff wrote it, and 
you know, Eric Bana was in it, and that was like when Eric Bana was Director of Das Boot. What? Yeah, Wolfgang Peterson. Oh, yeah, Wolfgang Peterson, yeah, yeah. That was less exciting to me. I didn't really know who he was. I mean, I knew who he was, but not from Das Boot. I knew, like, uh, In the Line of Fire and shit like that, you know, his his, uh, Hollywood stuff. So, Mm. but, uh, hey, maybe Troy will make it into the uh, deep dive one day. Mm. You never know. I hope hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I remember loving, there's a battle, there's, like, a duel between Eric Bana and Brad Pitt in the movie. Mm. I remember loving that scene. Right. But everything else sucked. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's Masada. JR? All right, um, so I guess, I guess I'll, I'll start with, um, with Jackass. Again? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's the last one, uh, until October, um, when the fourth one comes out. But yeah, I watched, uh, Jackass 3D. I, um... In 3D? Well... My brother bought a house uh, in this area, and the previous owners left a bunch of stuff, including a TV and a 3D Blu-ray player. Wow. Uh, so I took the 3D <clears throat> Blu-ray player, and I, then I, <laughs> and I plugged it in, and I got home, and I put the, the Blu-ray in, and then I was like... You have to have a 3D but TV. I, but I don't have a 3D oh, TV. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm dumb. Uh, and, and also... The TV that was left at my brother's house with that Blu-ray player, also not a 3D TV. <laughs> so these people had bought a 3D Blu-ray player. It, and maybe they took that uh, television or something, but uh, do they even still make those 3D TVs? Uh, I, I don't know. Not. I don't know. I don't see them a lot. No. Mm. It's like the curved TVs. They don't make those really that much anymore either, I don't think. Yeah. It's all fads. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, so, yeah. I, I put the Jackass uh, 3D Blu-ray in to the 3D Blu-ray player, and I watched it in 2D. Um, so, um, Jagas 3D is funny. Uh, you know, it was. it's not as funny as the first two. There's, there, uh, yeah, again, there's a bunch of penis and poop stuff I don't, I don't understand. Um, Giant Knoxville climbs, like, a, a, a 40-foot tree, and they chop the tree down, and, like, so he lands in the snow, and that just really scared the shit out of me. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's it. I, I'm very, I'm very happy that I watched the Jackass movies. Uh, and this one was weird. Like this, every single movie that I have logged since our last or almost every single movie that I've logged since our last, uh, podcast recording, I've watched in multiple sittings. I think I watched Jackass in like five sittings. Wow. Uh, I just like, I can't sit down and watch a movie right now things just like keep happening mm-hmm. but um i don't i mean like if you're gonna do a, a movie in multiple sittings jackass is probably a better movie to do that just you know it's a uh, two minute two minute skits and stunts and then it's then it's done you don't uh, it doesn't really take you out of the the flow like it does if you're watching something like uh snow falling on cedars yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah jackass 3d a much better film to watch in multiple sittings than snow falling on cedars. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Guys. <laughs> Are you going to watch uh, Jackass two point five and three point five? I, you know, I, th- I had those on my Netflix queue. I thought about it, and then I don't know. Each 
the DVD extras for two and three have like so many of the outtakes and so many of like the deleted skits that didn't make it in. I was like, is there really like an hour more of shit that I didn't see on these DVD extras? And the answer is probably yes. Uh, but if I watch those, it's not going to be anytime soon. What about um, Bad Grandpa? Jackass Presents. Originally, I did want to watch that, but I just the bad grandpa stuff in the the in two and three specifically. Just like those were not my favorite things. I I honestly I thought uh, like the Spike Jones old bad grandma stuff or just like old person stuff was funnier than the the Johnny Knoxville thing. So oh, I don't know. She, he's in it too. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah, briefly. So yeah, you know. Again, maybe, maybe one day, not uh, not right now. Nice. I got to get to action point though. That's oh yeah, action point. <laughs> what about um, Viva La Bam? Will you be rewatching seasons of Viva La Bam in preparation no, for Jackass Four? And I never, Bam and is not in Jackass Four. I know. I believe. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was a whole controversy about that. Is there a controversy? Why did, was he just something like, like they? F- I don't feel like doing this. No, apparently no, no, no. they like he was gonna be in it, but then they like fired him on set or something. I don't. Yeah, know. he is. He's. They shot a bunch of stuff apparently with him in it, and then he he was apparent according to him, he was under uh, like a like a rule where he had to every time they paged him or texted him or something, no matter what he was doing, he had to stop everything he was doing and blow into like a like a um alcohol thing to prove that he was sober Mm. or he had to go straight to a clinic and like do a piss test to prove that he was sober and uh he couldn't handle it he was not sober (laughs) so he uh you know which he is saying is like that's bullshit because who could possibly do that but it's like well a sober person could probably handle it but you know it's like yeah (laughs) but uh he was you know he's an addict and he's got a problem and he they, they were apparently trying to like you know confront him about his issue like they did with steve-o like there's been a lot of comparisons to steve-o because they all intervened with steve-o and he's been fine for whatever it's been like 12 years now mm. and uh but well, it hasn't cool. worked with bam and they've had to fire him and now jeff tremaine the director got a restraining order against him because he threatened his kids or something jeez that's that sucks um yeah and yet the the like I obviously haven't done a lot of reading of this. The, the real life stuff with um, these guys' personal lives isn't awesome across the board, which is unfortunate. And, you know, obviously, like, Ryan Dunn's appearance in Jackass 3D is probably, like, one of the last things he did before he passed mm-hmm. away. And that's, you know, and that 3D might have been his best movie. But that's, uh, yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Mm. It's a bummer that, uh, that Ben Margera was not able to I don't know. Pull it together. I agree. I guess. I think he'll be missed when you watch the film. It's going to be weird that he's not there. But But no, I won't watch Viva La Bam. I <laughs> remember I don't remember ever watching Viva La Bam. Oh man, I used to live on um, Viva La Bam when I was a teenager. Or, wait. So Viva La Bam, uh, what's Wild Boys? Wild is Boys not? is Chris Pontius and Steve-O and they like go on know. nature stuff <laughs> nature yeah, like, dives and yeah it's like crocodile like hunter I, meets jackass <laughs> right yeah 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 i feel like i saw some of that at some point i just remember viva la bam just like basically being a reality show with like him at his house with his parents and i 
It, it is. It was really, and really, I, really staged. I got really bored of that. Yeah, it was super stagey. Like, they obviously wrote everything, and mm. it was, it, it, like, I rewatched a part of an episode recently on YouTube, and it was, like, really bad. I don't, I don't know how I got through it. But, but when you're a teenager, you just want, you know, you just want to see crazy shit going down. Right. So, when I was around the time of Jackass, we would, we got, like, the, uh, the CKY videos with Bam. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot more skateboarding in that, which I loved at the time. So maybe I'll rewatch those. Nice. Nice. All right, Kevin. Okay. So let's see. I've been continuing on my Wong Kar Wai kick with uh, As Tears Go By, Days of Being Wild, My Blueberry Nights, The Grandmaster, and Ashes of Time. And I mean... They're all, like, really good. My Blueberry Nights, like, it wasn't bad, but it just, like, wasn't very interesting. And also considering the fact that, like... So he wrote the screenplay with Lawrence Block, who's, like, a, uh... Like... Like, pulp, um... Like... Crime novelist. And they write this, you know, romance. And, like, you know, there's some, like... There's a little bit of violence in the movie, but I I don't know. Like, yeah, it w- wasn't horrible, but it wasn't, you know, like it definitely sticks out as like him, like sort of trying to bring his stuff to Hollywood and it not really working that well. But um, like as tears go by and days of being wild, like his first couple of movies, like right out of the gate are really good. And um, the Grandmaster and Ashes of Time, like Ashes of Time, actually reminded me a lot of like uh, Blueberry. Like it has this really kind of hazy psychedelic look, and it's sort of a western, even though it takes place in I guess it takes place in like uh, I guess like northern China, where there's like di- like the Mongolian deserts and stuff. Um. So it's a northern. Yeah. <laughs> like Django was a southern. But, um, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, there, and there's desert in western China as well. Okay. Before right. he gets to the mountains. Right, right, right. Okay. But yeah. Um, yeah. Wong Kar Wai is great. Like. <laughs> yes. Un, you know. And like, I know, like, like, I'm not going to take take anything away from like, you know, uh, Chongqing Express or... Um, in the mood for love or, you know, the, the stuff that's like on criterion, like that stuff is amazing too. But like, he's got this other stuff that's, that's also available like on Netflix or prime. And it's also very, very good. So, um, did, which, um, which version of ashes of time did you watch? Like the, the regular, or the redux, uh, the redux, um, which apparently is like, like it's on the, the, Redux is on Prime and it was listed as like 94 minutes and the and on Letterboxd is listed as 100 minutes. So, I don't know that I missed like a huge chunk of like major story, but like apparently um apparently Redux is the only version that's available like outside of China. So, yeah, you you'd have to you'd have to like find a a torrent 
like a specific yeah, like original yeah. torrent with the uh, that yeah but yeah the uh the editing like shit or post post production shit show for ashes of time is is a fun story mm-hmm. uh and he you know got so sick of editing it that he went and shot a whole movie while he was editing it and that movie was called chunking express nice <laughs> All right. Um, I let's see. What did I watch? I watched uh, Thirty Days of Night. <laughs> I I went to the. Uh, I don't know who you are or <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> I went to the Best Buy and was buying 4K Blu-rays. Bought Possessor, uh, uncut on 4K. Had to be done. And uh, picked up a couple of other ones and saw Thirty Days of Night for 4.99 on Blu-ray. So I was like, you know what? Never seen it always mildly interested love the concept awesome concept of like vampires in a city where it's always night Mm. so uh, and it's got ben foster in it you know you never know so uh i picked it up and i watched it immediately it's directed by david slade who uh would go on to direct the vampire classic uh twilight eclipse he also directed hard candy which i was not a Mm. fan of no. And uh did some Black Mirror episodes also, which are apparently good, but I have not seen any Black Mirror and don't know if I want to go down that that rabbit hole. Thirty Days of Night stars Josh Hartnett and Melissa George. Uh, I don't know who Melissa George is. This is the only thing I've seen with her, I think. But um it also has Danny Houston in it, who is quite mm. effective as the vampire leader and whose name is Marlo. And the vampires in this are really interesting because they speak a vampiric language, which I don't think I've ever seen before. And if, it doesn't make any sense if you scrutinize it at all. Because obviously, like, if you turn a vampire, like, they suddenly know the language. Like, they have to learn the language. Or, I don't know. It doesn't. N- none of it makes any sense. But it is a cool idea that they speak this language that nobody can understand. And that they... The way they move and feed on people is really cool and they don't really have fangs they have like all their teeth are like sharpened like they have like like shark teeth almost Mm. and uh it's pretty violent like horrendously so and there's like there's a child vampire who gets killed at one point in a pretty gratuitous way which is you know kind of fun because you don't see that a lot in movies and uh and I, i i ben foster's in it uh, for a second, he's really bad in it. He's doing like this goofy southern, like, hey, I'm being Foster and the vampires are coming. He's, he's got like a foghorn leghorn thing going, oh, and it's not good. <laughs> Is, aren't they in Alaska? <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah, it makes mm. no sense. Uh, but, you know, he's not in it very much. And uh, honestly, standout performance, gotta be heart nut. He's really giving this thing his all. God bless him. I mean, it's not an amazing performance, but hes re- you could tell he's fully committed. Mm. He's like, he's got scenes where he's on the verge of tears and he's screaming and all kinds of shits. He's, uh, he's not bad in it. And uh, the ending was a little bit of a letdown, but all- overall I'd say, you know, it's a solid little, you know, vampire thriller. If you're bored on Halloween, check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, other than that, I mean, it's not any, it has, I would say it has 
not that much rewatch value. Like, I'm not looking forward to watching it again. I did, for some reason, watch a lot of special features on the Blu-ray about how it was made. Because there's a lot of, like, <laughs> behind-the-scenes, like, interviews. and Not even interviews, just, like, showing David Slade talking to the writers and, like, getting the sets built and stuff like that. I find all that stuff kind of interesting. They apparently, I mean, they built the town. Like, it looks really good. Like, it looks like it's shot in Alaska, but it's apparently not. It was shot in New Zealand, and they just, like, trucked in snow and manufactured wow. snow on this town. And I honestly thought it would have been, like, a town built in front of a blue screen, <laughs> like, in a big studio. Right. No, I mean, it was, uh, it had a pretty small budget, but it was, like, I mean, well, medium budget, probably. And it was, uh, but, yeah, they built the town from scratch, and they just covered it with fake snow. Snow made out of, like, uh, foam and stuff. And then they used real snow for some scenes, I think. But anyways, uh, yeah, 30 Days of Night. I will not be watching any of the direct-to-video sequels. So mm. <laughs> They don't have Josh uh, yeah. Hartnett in them. <laughs> so. do, do they have David Slade? No, David Slade is too big for 30 Days of Night now. He did Twilight Eclipse. Mm. <laughs> and what has he done since the Twilight Eclipse? Uh, well, that was in 2010. <laughs> and then right. he did multiple Black... Oh, he directed Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror movie. Mm. And he did in 2018. And before that, he did an episode called Metalhead. Okay. Uh, Tales of the Black Mirror. Mm. And he did a, a segment from Nightmare Cinema, which I think is an omnibus film. Yeah, it's got Joe Dante and some other people. And uh, yeah, this is this is his life now. This is what he does. He's got a movie coming out next year called Dark Harvest, which is based on some horror novel by Norman Partridge. Never heard of it. Won the Bram Stoker Award. Mm. That's fun. Who could care? Uh, good, good for him. Yeah. I will say that 30 Days of Night tells you very little about who David Slade is as a filmmaker. Mm. It's nothing like Hard Candy, and I would imagine it's very dissimilar from Eclipse, uh, even though I have not seen Twilight Eclipse. But Is that the third or fourth one? It's from 2010. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think the New, Mo- think the new Moon is the second one, right? So yeah. I, don't, I, don't I don't know. I <laughs> haven't seen any of them. Uh be honest i've seen the first one mm. well, it's it just so good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well jr yeah um i watched uh just like a really weird f- fucked up animated movie on movie that's my cue called- i'm gonna go get some water i'll be right back <laughs> Well, it's called. Uh, I'm here for animation, so yeah, it's stop motion animation. And it's called uh, she, but like stylized as like a s space he. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just gonna look. I'm a great review content here. Mm. I'm just gonna read you the letterboxed uh, synopsis, just because I I think I'd be over all over the place if I tried to do it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so in a dystopian world, male shoes dominate, and female high heels and with spindly vines are kept strictly for breeding purposes. And under disguise, a female breaks loose and attempts to move beyond her confines, and it fucks up society. I added that last part. Wow. So we've got like a, a red high heel shoe who breaks out of like her breeding camp and uh, basically tries to 
like disguise yourself and fit in as like a male shoe and they're all the male shoes are all like black uh loafers and their mouths open they've got scary teeth and weird tongues um and this is this is a movie that is just like full of like nightmare fuel uh and i call it fucked up just because like you'd think this would be like trippy but it's really just more like um like almost like perverted like everything you see like feels weird and wrong and like a shoe gets violated not in a way that like is very sexual but it's like but it it, it just feels weird hmm. <laughs> like like almost like you're un- just like i'm uncomfortable watching it because it it just like is so ugh, it's so icky uh it's a lot of icky it's 80 minutes of uh of icky and and odd and uh i highly recommend everyone watch uh this icky stop motion animated movie with shoes sounds like they took that uh you know that that opening scene in uh triplets of belleville where like the fred astaire character like his shoes like uh come alive and eat him up Mm -hmm. sounds like they took that and was like let's make 80 minutes of that yeah look this is like a you know, this is like a it's it's a not so subtle like you know metaphor for the patriarchy, and that's that's whatever. Like you're gonna get out of that what you want to get out of that, and uh, but yeah, it's it's out there, guys. Variety it. calls it a major event. <laughs> well, that's it's not. <laughs> I don't know. On, uh, I don't know the scale that they're working on for what could be a major event, but this tiny Chinese animated movie that no one's ever seen is probably not that. I'm watching the trailer right now, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to make it, JR. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be for me. That's okay, though. All right, Kevin? Let's see. So I... I began the process of re-watching the um, Henry Fool trilogy by Hal Hartley. Nice. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to rewatch nice. Ned Rifle because, like, I I don't know, like, it's not streaming anywhere. I, I was gonna like rent it on Prime, and it wasn't available there. I can't even I can't even get like a DVD from Netflix for for Ned Rifle. Yeah, like, well, the thing is... It's annoying. Yeah, like, the thing is, like, I remember, like, back when I was still... I guess this must have been, like, end of 2016, early 2017. I'm just sitting at home, and I'm cruising through Netflix, and I see Ned Rifle, and I was like, oh! So I watched it on Netflix, but, like, it's not on there. It's not streaming anywhere. Apparently it just, you know, disappeared into the ether. You know, despite having, despite starring Aubrey Plaza, um, like the soundtrack is on iTunes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, I mean, these are interesting movies. Like, um, although I'm, I'm, I don't understand necessarily how. Like, apparently, Henry Fool was considered a comedy. I didn't find most of what happens in Henry Fool necessarily funny. I mean, I understand if you want to go for, like, the dark comedy route. 
but I don't know. Like it's it's you know, it's I don't know. It's not. <laughs> I I didn't find it funny. Um, you didn't find it funny, or was it not? Was it trying to be funny? I don't know. Uh, I mean, th- it it definitely has a different vibe than many of Hartley's like other very clear comedies. Mm. Like it's it's not as like um, the the quirkiness of it isn't quite as like friendly, right? <laughs> as uh, as his funnier movies. Yeah, you can get the Henry Fool trilogy box set on Blu-ray from Amazon for eighty-six dollars. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, it looks really nice. Sorry, I like I legitimately perked up until you said eighty-six dollars. Yeah, like... eighty-five. It's only eighty-five ninety-five. Sorry, not, not quite eighty-six. <laughs> I mean, if we were talking like thirty-five ninety-five, we might be able to talk. But eighty, like, nah, it's it's not. Worth I'm not that. sure. Yeah, maybe it's like a new. I don't know who's putting this out it's a really nice looking box set actually okay so maybe there's one on ebay for 70 dollars yeah there's the he also but, uh, has the long island trilogy box set on here for 86 there's multiple hal hartley box sets wow what is the long surviving so the long desire one's got to include yeah surviving desire and co box set 50 dollars hmm has theory of achievement ambition Opera number one. I don't know. I don't know anything about Hal Hartley. I've never seen any of these films. Uh, is you can get all three sets for two hundred and twenty-two dollars. So it's just like some guy who made <laughs> maybe <he> made a set. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm really. I'm a little confused myself. I'm anxious to see. I'm trying to see who put these out, but I can't seem to find a producer. No studio. Possible films. Maybe that's hmm. the producer of the film, so I don't know who made the box sets. Anyway, cool box sets. They're all remastered, too. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I will derailed s- you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to get back on my thought train. Um, yeah, like... I thought it was kind of interesting that, like, so, like, in, um, spoiler alert, like, in Henry Fool, like, they, um, like, Henry, the main character, Henry, like, comes off as, like, this very, like, brazen, you know, like, he tells you that his ideas are dangerous and, you know, they're, they're trying to hunt him down because, you know, he's a free thinker and et cetera, et cetera, and then, basically, like, he, you know, Basically, what happened was, like, he went to jail for having sex with a 13-year-old and got caught. And, like, uh, he, you know, he was, like, he knew he knew this, this publisher guy, but that was only because he was a janitor at the publishing company's office. Um, and then in the second one, like, they're, they're all of a sudden attaching, like, serious significance to his memoirs that he was writing in the first one, which like, I don't know. It's like you, you go to, you go to the whole, like there's this arc in the first one where like, you know, they're kind of like, you know, he's this sort of like mysterious, like sort of Rasputin figure. And then like, he has this like fall from grace and then he kind of redeems himself towards the end of the movie. 
But then, like, in the second one, it's like, okay, we're going in a very different direction here. Um, and, I, and I, you know, not having... Un, being unable to rewatch Ned Rifle is like... I remember a little bit about it, but not very much. There's good news for you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy the Henry Fool box set because apparently Hal Hartley, these are all from HalHartley.com. He put these box sets together himself. Oh, like, so we pulled a Herzog. Yeah, so you can buy Ned Rifle by itself on Blu-ray for the low, low price of $23, marked down from 37 So These better be Criterion-level so editions, man. <laughs> it looks really nice. Like I say, all the packaging looks really nice. Okay. I, don't know. I can tell you that. Um, well, I, and I've still never seen that rifle. Um, mm. But I can tell you that Faye Grimm yeah. really works uh, if you've never seen Henry Fool. Absolutely. Because uh, I, I saw Faye Grimm. Bef- that was the first Harley movie I watched, and it was before I watched Henry Fool, not knowing it was a sequel to anything. Same. Uh, and I was totally into it. Yeah, um, and then I was into Henry. Yeah, the I, I would guess that like the that Hartley's just kind of like playing with uh, with mythology and mm. his own history, like movie history. Right. Like, I, I almost feel like it, it. He probably didn't care what was in Henry Fool. He probably right. just wanted to make this spy movie, and he was like, oh, "I can connect it to something." I don't know. Right. <laughs> He just wanted Parker Posey in there. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, is she in? Is she in Ned Rifle at all? Uh, I don't remember her being in there. Doesn't mean she's not in there though. I miss Parker Posey. Mm. She's still she's still alive and, and working. Yes. Yeah. You don't, have to, you don't have to miss her. You could watch her stuff right now. <laughs> No, I'd have to probably pay like $85 for it. Yeah, <laughs> only if you want to watch her Hal Hartley performances, then mm. then, you, then you got a problem. Yeah. You can go watch Dazed and Confused right now, okay? Um, I watched, uh, so I'm, I'm caught up with my Criterion watches. I know you guys are going out nice. of order. I'm going I'm in not, order. Sort of. And I am caught up right now. I won't be after today unless I watch Hellbound Train today, which I probably will. But uh, I watched Vagabond, which is um, Agnes Varda's film from 1985. I don't know what... I think it's just the movie from the 80s, I think is what it is on the Criterion Challenge thing. Mm. And uh stars uh, Sandrine Bonaire, who is pretty awesome in this movie playing a quite unlikable uh, what the title suggests is a vagabond a uh, homeless young woman who is dirty and filthy and likes to do drugs and hang out and get drunk and party and doesn't want to work and fuck people who work and uh, (laughs) yeah and then you know her, uh, her inevitable demise which is you know, happens in the first minute or two of the movie, and then it's a, it's essentially a, uh, a flashback and leading up to her death. But it's just really good. This is a really good movie, and I very much enjoyed it. I loved everything about it. I loved all the 
performances, especially Sandrine Bonaire, and I love the direction. I love the sort of wandering camera. A lot of static shots, but then like also a lot of great tracking shots where she, the, the, the main character, whose name is Mona, she's just kind of like walking in and out of frame. Like the camera's not concerned about keeping up with her at all. <laughs> or, or she's not concerned about keeping up with the camera. I'm not sure which it is, but just a great watchable Linklater-ish. You can see, you know, this inspiring people like Linklater just like a hangout movie, but the darkest kind of hangout movie because nothing is good, you know? <laughs> like, everything <laughs> sucks, and it's the worst. But, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. It's really great. Check out Vagabond if you haven't already. Do it. It's on Criterion Channel. Mm. This is uh, number 19 for me. With a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. I, <clears throat> I'm not caught up on my Criterion Challenge, and uh, you guys, unbelievable! <laughs> I was trying to go in order, mm. but um, it's so easy. Just go in order. It is. It's. It's. Yeah. It should be easy. Uh, <laughs> I skipped a few where, like the the movie I picked wasn't on the Criterion Channel. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get back to it. Um, but yeah, so I, I I started yesterday. I started my my 90s uh pick Mm -hmm. and uh and i didn't finish it because i only had one sitting uh and i can't (laughs) watch a movie in one sitting right now uh but i would say that i loved the first 44 minutes of cold water uh olivier assias's it's not his first movie it's it's one of his earlier movies um about these these 16 year olds who who get into some trouble and um yeah, it's it's great so far. I can't wait to. Uh, I'm actually mad. I can't wait. I can't watch it until like tonight. I got this fucking crawfish boil I have to go to. Ugh. Bummer, man. <sighs> yeah, I made. It's, I got. I you made, guys have I made some food there? for it. No, we have to. You have to get it shipped. <laughs> it's not. It's not cheap. Wow. I'm sure. Yeah, it's like an overnight plane thing. They cut like a dollar off of uh, the price per pound if you go pick it up from the airport instead of having it delivered from the airport. <laughs> so I, I imagine my brother's at the airport right now getting the crawfish. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to finish cold water tonight. And uh, and you know what? Next time we record, I'm going to have some Criterion movies to talk about. Nice. Same. <laughs> Real quick. You said again. Speaking of the Criterion, I was wrong. It's actually number 20. Vagabond, and it was directed by a woman. That's the oh, okay. The oh, nice. uh, the caveat. So, anyway. what was what was your eighties one? My eighties one was number sixteen, uh, Ballad of Gregorio Cortez. Oh, eighty two. Oh, okay. Which it, I was going to say, Jr. If you come across something that's not on the Criterion Channel, do what I do: just blind buy it on Amazon, on Blu-ray. Yeah, commit. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and. <laughs> So one of like my my fifties movie is not on Criterion Channel, uh, but I do have like the Blu-ray copy of it. I just um, nice was too yeah. lazy to get up and put that in. That happened with me with a, a Master Builder. I had the I have the box set, 
the Wallace Shawn Andre Gregory box set, and that's the only one I hadn't watched yet, which is why it's on my list. Mm. And I watched it, and uh, I was pretty disappointed in it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a bummer. Yeah, I don't. I did not love that movie. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, shame. Jr. I believe we're on to you. No, I just I just talked about cold water. That's oh, all that's I have your left. talking. Okay. I don't. Got I it. didn't watch movies. Got I didn't watch Got any it. movies. No problem. I can I can tell you more about uh crawfish boils. Mm. I can tell you <laughs> more about um Mare of Easttown. Oh, did you watch That's, the entire thing? Yeah. Is it good as people are saying it is? I don't know. I <laughs> I, I don't watch TV, so like w- what I was seeing, I was like, "Oh, that this is like this feels fresh. I like this." Uh, I don't know if this was some basic shit that is in every, uh, you know, dark crime story, but mm. the the local flavor of Mayor of Easttown uh, felt authentic and convincing, uh, and I thought Kate Winslet was just awesome in it. I'll be watching it. I have it on my queue. Um, I'll definitely be binging all seven episodes over the next week or two. Uh, but, yeah. I I didn't realize uh, Craig Zobel directed it. He's a little dubious for me. I'm not excited about what's mm. what's his deal. He directed the Hunt, that uh, that ridiculous oh. uh, liberal versus conservative, yeah, I don't know what you call it, exploitation film, and some other stuff. I don't know. He's not a great filmmaker that by my I've, by my standards, but <laughs> I I wouldn't really worry about his presence there. I yeah. Like, yeah, I've been know. I've been also powering through season five of The Sopranos, so mm. just got a lot going on right now, you know. Right. <laughs> Talk about something that is groundbreaking for television. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know sure. what? The, you people, just not not, not to talk about Sopranos right now, but one one thing but I let's. did realize. Well, just one thing that I noticed <laughs> that I never really noticed before. Television. Even HBO television, for the most part, is built on cliffhangers on episodes to get you into the next episode, right? Mm-hmm. Sopranos has zero cliffhangers. There is not an episode that ends where you're like, God, I can't wait to see what happens with that. It always ends in the most calm sort of nothing way like something just something completely innocuous happens but in that innocuous moment there's a lot to unpack you know but it has nothing to do with like plot development it's always about character it's just it's it's more it's the most cinematic that television can get like no no tv show comes close to being on this level it just doesn't and i don't know i mean i get why people like I, I see some people saying like on Facebook, somebody brought up Sopranos and they're like, "I'm not a big fan of Sopranos." And I, I can totally get that. Like you're, you know, like if you're not into crime stuff or you don't like the mafia or you don't like the abrasive personalities or these kinds of things. But just as a exercise in storytelling, Sopranos is so fucking brilliant. It's just incredible. The writing is unbelievable. It's so good. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I mean Sopranos. It's it's on my on my list you've got to you've got I'll to I'll probably I'll probably watch the new season of Lucifer on Netflix first oh, but Jesus Christ <laughs> 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 well you know 
priorities. Mm. So, Kevin. Okay, so uh, I'll just run through a couple uh, real quick. Um, so I also on my little minor freaking kick, I watched uh, Rules of Engagement because it was on Canopy, and um, I think it's a a decent uh, drama. The o- the only thing that I'll bring up, uh, so there's a part where like uh, Bruce Greenwood burns this uh vhs tape in his office Mm. now anyone who's ever smelled burning plastic knows that it is a very caustic smell like it really gets into your nostrils and like attacks you sure so the fact that he just burns this like in like a government building in the fireplace of a government building it's like you know People must have come into that room for, like, the next week and been like, what the, f- ugh, what, dude, what happened in here? <laughs> so, like. He just dropped something in the fire accidentally. That was yeah, close. apparently. Yeah, you yeah. can make up anything. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. obviously done for dramatic effect. Yeah, he, I know, but it, it just, yeah. you know. <laughs> You'd rather he put the tape in his in his satchel, go home with it. And then destroy it. Like have a whole nother scene where he destroys it in private at home. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) To make it more realistic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Let's see. And I also watched uh, the personal history of David Copperfield, Armando Iannucci's version of David Copperfield. And I really enjoyed it. It's on HBO Max, so it's easy to watch. Such an Iannucci head, this guy. Yeah, I actually. Love Zianucci. I mean, I want to watch that. Yeah, I mean, and I was really I was really happy that uh on HBO Max like you can see like it's got all of uh Alan Partridge the oh. the spoof show that he did with uh Steve Coogan. Oh, I didn't know now, he did that. that. Now, yep. is that more or less cinematic than Lucifer? Good question. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Alan Partridge, so it could be very cinematic for all I know. Yeah. There was a movie of it, after all. Right. Um, finally got around to watching uh, Minari. Um, <laughs> so, my, my the entire time I'm watching Minari, I'm like, this is like Totoro, but like, there's no magic, and it's really depressing. Because, like, you know, like it, like, it opens the same way. Like, this family is moving to, you know, this, like, very rural country you know, place. But then like it very quickly becomes, you know, very, you know, very dramatic and, um, you know, not a fun time for anybody. Well, at least, at least the mother's not in the hospital the whole time. That's true. Um, but you know, like the kid has a heart murmur. So yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, the harder they come, which, I am very grateful to John for telling me to watch it with subtitles because otherwise I would have had like very little idea what was going on. Difficult to understand for sure. Yeah. And even with subtitles, like honestly, like, like I, you know, I got the gist of it, but like, I'm still not a hundred percent sure on how a lot of things happened. Like his, like, uh, the main characters turn to crime. It's like, what, uh, what what well he gets oh. fucked over by the record producer right and then he right, but feels like, like but like that that's i mean he doesn't 
Like, he could have, like, made it, like, he had a hit. Like, he could have, like, gone somewhere and made another record. Gone where, though? I mean, that guy, I think it was, I think it was portrayed that that producer had a monopoly on yeah. making records in Kingston, you know? Right. I don't know. I mean. But, I don't, yeah. yeah. It's neither here nor there. I mean, it's just, it is the story, so. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, JR, do you want to talk about Clerks? Yeah. All right. I, uh, clerks. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> this was the Letterbox Roulette uh, loss film mm. that you guys had to watch because I won Letterbox Roulette. Yes. And I do, I do, John, want to fill you in. Uh, mm. Kevin and I had a conversation yesterday. I didn't send this to you because why would you care? Uh, you didn't have to watch Clerks. That's true. There is a uh, like Clerks themed restaurant pop up in Denver right now. Um, <laughs> And if not for this crawfish boil, Aww. I would go to it. No, I'm, I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to it tomorrow or Monday. Um, yeah, they they've got a, a movies open uh, and a quick stop. Nice. So that's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. Let's, yeah. Let's like get it, let's get into clerks. Yeah, you're just going to be it. accosted by people standing outside going, "Hey, cock smoker." <laughs> yeah, pro- probably. Are you gonna uh, do some uh, cosplaying as like Silent Bob or Jay or Dante? No, no, <laughs> no. I'm not. Um, I fucking hated Dante. I hate Dante. Mm. I hate. Da- I hate Dante. Bit of a also, complainer. <laughs> Jason Muse in Clerks is is he's a baby. Yeah, I don't. I didn't look up how old he was, but like he he's so just like small and young. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. It freaked me out. Um, it's all the heroin. Well, yeah. I mean, heroin makes you younger. <laughs> makes you small. I don't know. It makes you skinny. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, uh, you know, clerks. Everyone knows clerks. Everyone has seen clerks a thousand times. Yeah, he's like nineteen uh, or twenty when he made it. Okay, Kevin, you um, you gave clerks a higher. Uh, rating than I did. What'd you like about Clerks? I mean, I thought, uh, I thought there were still some scenes that were, you know, had, had some comedic value, like, like the, the scene where like they, um, where they're coming, they're coming back to the store after the funeral. Like <laughs> I'm telling you, it wasn't my fault. You knocked the casket over. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, are completely unamused by this. Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> and her so I read it so we could watch it together. <laughs> you know, like I'm not gonna, you know, like I'm, I'm sure, like back when I like first watched it, I was like, yeah, that that whole scene, that whole thing about Star Wars makes a lot of sense. But now I'm like, no, this is dumb. <laughs> uh, that, that and, is dumb. and you know, and yeah. the whole. The whole like uh, <laughs> the the whole like argu- arguing back and forth about the uh, the thirty seven dicks and like you know and yeah like Dante like I you know I get it you know it's the nineties you know people in their early twenties have you know a serious you know malaise epidemic it's, um, but at the same time it's like bruh like if you you know. Like as you get older, I think you I think you lose sympathy for Dante because like, you know, it's it's like Randall says in the movie, like you know, 
a monkey could do our jobs. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, (laughs) you guys aren't these, like, intellectual elites who just, you know, got dealt a bad hand. Like, you guys could be making better decisions and, you know, not have crummy lives. Um... But yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, nostalgia played in it a lot for me. So, you know, because yeah, I watched it, I watched it like a bajillion times, and you know, it was a Sunday afternoon movie for me. So I think, you know, again, like when when I was in seventh and eighth grade, getting into this stuff for the first time, uh, somehow my friends and I came across Mallrats first, and I feel like if I watched Mallrats, that's that's the one that would have like the nostalgia appeal to me, mm. and we like, <clears throat> and I also saw the Clerks cartoons before I saw Clerks. Oh, uh, and I, I, I mean, we we talked about this yesterday. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I would enjoy the the cartoons more, uh, e- even just from like remembering a bunch of the bits. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I um, I, I think that no, I think that zero of the jokes are funny in Clerks. And and I think that a lot of it, like there'll be a premise that is funny, but then it just like doesn't go anywhere. Uh, for instance, like the Chulies gum bit, like with the oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the no smoke the anti smoking guy who is revealed to be a gum uh, representative. Yeah, um, like I thought, like in theory, that was very funny, and it starts really funny, uh, and then like Kevin Smith ruins it by having uh, is it Victoria Veronica Veronica. Veronica having her like blast the argument with the uh the fire extinguisher yeah and like that was just that was like the least funny way that you could have ended this uh and it felt like you just couldn't figure out how to end it and then there's like the there's like the guidance counselor with the eggs mm. and like that's the same exact joke as the milkmaids with the milk like yeah. it's that and neither like they're just they're meant to be like these like observations of humanity and they're just like eh, not you're not saying anything with the joke um but then there's you know the the mis- the misogyny in like dante's language uh which i think is enforced by kevin smith's like final line is is just like not a good look and uh and dante dante sucks he just he's just like a, he's such a fucking mood killer yeah. And uh, and he wasn't Randall supposed to be there today, man. Just leave him alone. I, yeah, that's and that's—I don't know why anyone thought that joke repeated six times. And, and <laughs> like the whole point is that like Randall calls him out for for that kind of bitchy shit at the end. Yeah, yeah. But it's still just like, ugh. and um, and Randall was much funnier uh, when he was played by Jason Lee in the next movie. <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Jason Lee's character in Mallrats is just Randall, mm. um, and played by Jason an actor. Lee's funnier. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, 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 Jason Lee can actually act. That's all. That's the only thing I really remember about Clerks. I've only seen it twice, but I just remember like Randall in particular. Both he and Dante, though, both of their the performances are just like like those guys cannot act. Like they don't know how to act at all. They're just mm. spewing, and they got so much to do because kevin smith's dialogue is so verbose you know and they have to say a ton of shit and they obviously have no idea how to say it (laughs) because they're not trained actors and it's just kind of like comes off as amateurish and i I don't i'm not gonna do like a kevin smith deep dive or anything but it just 
it feels like you know he's going for this like mix of like clever observations with like nerdy shit mixed with like in the scenarios like this he's also going for like absurd and like r-rated gross out at points but like not actually showing the gross out like i don't know like like the big comedy moments like the um you know caitlin having having sex with the dead guy Mm. like the coffin pushover these things that we don't see um but are outrageous and like the main characters react to i just i don't like he doesn't have i understand why people thought this was like a, a an important voice in like 90s uh cinema at the time but i don't feel like there's much of a voice there yet mm. i wonder if that gets better or if i just don't like kevin smith i don't know i mean it's entirely possible because like i think i at some point will go go down the kevin smith rabbit hole again because you know like i mean really like him and like him Oliver Stone and Tarantino were basically the three directors who like really got me into movies. Um, but yeah, like I, I do, I do definitely have the feeling that uh, some of the stuff will probably not hold up as well, if at all. Cause I know for sure, like I guess around the time like Jersey girl and like some of his later stuff was starting to come out. Like I was watching like, you know, the like four hour DVDs of the Q and A's that he would do. And like, those were like infinitely more entertaining than his films. So (laughs) I never saw any of that stuff. Yeah. uh, I I believe it though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, I I don't know. Uh, It's hard to say, but yeah, we'll see. And I and I will real quick. I I do need to be clear. Like Clerks was not important to me uh as a young uh movie watcher. However, uh Mallrats Dogma and Chasing Amy absolutely were mm. like huge huge things for me. And though none of my friends and I really like loved Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, that is one of my most watched movies just as like that we would just throw that on as we were like falling asleep, uh, and you know got a bunch of laughs out of that. And that movie's probably awful too. But uh, you gave it a two and a half. Jalen Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> sure, it's that, one. Of, it's honestly, it's one of the few films of his that you've rated. You haven't rated many. I probably scrubbed the ratings of most. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interested to see like what you it's, thought it's, of Chasing Amy and Dogma and Mallrats yeah. at this point. Because I, I I rewatched Mallrats. I mean, not a long long time ago in the last five years or so and i gave it a four Mm. i mean it's a very funny movie it's obviously like not well made or anything but it's jason lee does so much to elevate what is otherwise kind of juvenile ridiculous comedy Mm. he's very very funny especially in this and chasing amy i believe and i don't you know yeah, I love Chasing Amy so much that you know, like I've got, I've got the old Criterion DVD. Oh, really? Uh, and I, but that Chasing Amy, like just walking through the plot in my head, feels like I. It feels like the kind of movie where I'd have a huge issue with how it kind of like treats women. Hmm. Just not remembering it clearly, but remembering enough, I'm like, that's probably this is probably not a good look. Yeah, I've read I've read articles where people are like reexamining it and saying it's problematic because of you know the whole turning a lesbian fantasy kind of thing yeah yeah. 
Have you ever noticed that on the Criterion cover, which uses the, I believe it's the original poster, that, but it can't be the original poster. I, I don't, I don't get it. The, on the on the cover, it's got a Photoshop Ben Affleck with no beard. It's from he's, it's him from Gigli. It's a picture of him from the movie Gigli. Oh God! I th- wait. That's look wait, at the cover. Gigli co- come out years after. Yes, look at so, the cover right now. It's I'm telling you, he's greased back hair, leather jacket. No beard. He's got to go to the entire movie mm. of Chasing Amy. Everybody else on the cover looks like themselves, except for uh, What's-Her-Face, because she looks yep. like a, a model. <laughs> Joey, Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, I mean, she looks um, good, don't get me wrong, but like in this yeah. picture, she looks ridiculous. <laughs> like she looks like the, a- original, the original poster is just her. Oh, okay. So yeah, if you look at um, the poster with all four of the, main, like, the male people who are in mm. it, it's him from Gigli, I guarantee it. He's got like a yeah, cleft chin. It doesn't, it doesn't look anything. <laughs> the I love that Jan Slot Bob are on this. Like right, they're, they're in one, one scene. One scene. Yeah. They're just like <laughs> it's to sell it, man. You gotta sell it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's a rough that's a rough look. It's not one of Criterion's better covers. No, um, they've you know they've gotten better since then. I actually it's, sold the Criterion DVD and bought the Blu-ray. Just a regular Blu-ray of it, uh, just because it was on right. blue, you know. Yeah, and I, I know like Arrow oh. has a uh, special edition, like 25th anniversary of Mallrats out now. Oh, I might have to I'll never, that. I'll never sell any of my Criterions. No, no. <laughs> or yeah, I like even the ones that I've upgraded to Blu-ray. Like I've got a Blu-ray copy and a DVD copy of In the Mood for Love. I'm not getting rid of one of those. Really? And, What's your favorite and, movie of all and, time? And, and I'm uh, gonna buy the Wonka Way box set that includes that movie, and I'm not gonna. St- I'm gonna have three versions. That's of that a movie. little different. I mean, I, if I bought a box, like if I bought, well, I don't know. I probably would get rid of them. I mean, I got rid of. Um, I bought the box, the Louis Bunuel box set that they released, and I got rid of two of the films from that that I already had, like Phantom of Liberty and uh, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. I got rid of both of them. Well, I haven't got rid of them, but I put them on a stack to get rid of. Mm. Because they're on DVD. Gross. I have Blu-rays now. Like, why? Yeah, I, but like... <laughs> what I am I going to do with those DVDs? Just look at them? Stare at them? Like, sure. I've got the DVD set of the Six Moral Tales. Mm-hmm. That includes my Night at Mods. And like, I, don't, I feel like if I got Blu-ray copies of some of those movies, or if I got a... I don't know. I feel like I'd only get rid of that if I got the Blu-ray copy of the entire set. And I don't know if they did that in Blu-ray. Oh, I mean, I've done that in Blu-ray. I believe they have. I, I would... I would... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't upgrade one movie at a time like that i would definitely get the whole set too mm. and with the one car Y thing i mean ag- agreed like kevin said it's your favorite film in the mood for love i have three different blu-ray copies of apocalypse now <laughs> and i've only recently taken two of them and put them into to to go stack you know i don't need these anymore mm. but it's, it was well, hard they... letting go because one of them's a steel book and i was like i really want this steel book but i uh... have the 4k now and I, it makes no sense to own this and you, you know, and you worship at the Church of Film Junk where they make fun of steel books. So no, you fuck get that. Fuck that. They used to love steel books. Okay, I don't have I don't have an, a huge issue with a steel book if it's a good one. You know, a lot of them are just trash that they make to you know upsell and mm. charge more. I, I guess I'll just real quick before we move on to our main review, I'm going to mention that I watched uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, the new Bo Burnham special on Netflix, which everybody is raving about and. Uh, just it's blowing up tiktok i'll tell you that much <laughs> if you go on tiktok it's non-stop videos about bo burnham 
and uh, how great these songs are and how great the camera work is. And Anyways, the conceit of this is that he filmed it and did everything himself in um, in a room over the course of the last year, the pandemic year, uh, presumably because he was, I don't know, quarantined? I don't know what, mm. he, what he's doing, but he's... He talks in the special about how he had panic attacks when he was performing live, and so he didn't want to perform live anymore anyway. And uh, this is like a real, it's, it's you know, it's a comedy special, but I would say it's, <laughs> I guess I look at it as like, you know, even if if you're doing something pretentious, right? Mm-hmm. And then you call it out and say, I'm going to be pretentious now. And I understand that this is pretentious, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I understand how this could be viewed as pretentious, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's still pretentious, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, he, he's, and not not saying that, like, he definitely takes the piss out of his out of himself a lot in this. Like, he makes fun of himself. It's very uh, deprecating and, like, he sort of, like, he'll he'll say something really grandiose about like life or the way the, like he has a whole song called this is the way the world works, which is all about how like, um, the history that we're taught in schools is wrong. And that, you know, the world is built on slavery and genocide and things like that, which is, uh, and it's, it's sung by a sock puppet, which is supposed to be amusing. Mm. And, uh, it's an interesting song and it's like, it's very well written, obviously, and well performed and everything. And, uh, but it's like that's a very like big thing to be saying, you know, as like a comedian, like you're a comedian, you know what I mean? It's just I, I guess I get a little sick of the whole like cult of comedy around stand-ups, like mm. you know, uh, like these guys who take themselves really seriously or seem to take them like people like uh, what's that guy with the podcast? Rogan, <laughs> the guy with the. No, 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 no. Rog- well, Rogan's... Well, I mean, they all Rogan's have podcasts. Little, so. Rogan's a little different. Um, yeah, I mean... Because I don't, yeah, he, I don't think he, of him as a comedian, even though he is. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, no, the the uh, guy with the beard. Uh, Segura? <laughs> n- no, no, no. Yeah, I know. They all have podcasts yeah. now. This is the problem. No, Mark Maron. Mark Maron oh, right, is one right, of right. these guys who, like, he's not... Like, if you ever watch a Mark Maron... Uh, stand-up routine, like, it's not that funny. Like, the guy's just not that funny. Like, I don't... I mean... This is I, dumb. Sorry, Mer- JR. You love Mark Mer- Merle's Rooter is is just one of the funniest bits. What? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Uh, oh, is that one Mark of his Mer- bit? with, like, the... Like, he's got the clogged toilet, and he's got to call the, uh... Like, the Rooter service. Yeah. Um, with the, sh- with the shit dick. It's, uh... It's just a very good... Look, I'm not uh, I impugning seen all, of Mark, all of Mark Maron's material. I'm sure he has some funny jokes here and there, and I have enjoyed his podcast on occasion. Mm. My point is that I was just talking about how the, the the sort of cult of personality around comedians, like how stand-ups mm. have it really hard, and all comedy comes from pain and this kind of bullshit. And like oh, yeah, yeah, Mark yeah. Maron, I used to be an addict, and this is where my comedy comes from. And uh, I just I'm kind of sick of good. it, and it's just kind of was... it's just so fucking stupid. I just want them to be like just. Like I'm, t- I'm just tired of analyzing comedy. Just be funny. Just go up and do something funny on the stage. Say a funny joke and be funny because that's the, that's the ultimate goal of comedy. Yes, is to make you laugh. Like the ultimate goal isn't to make you think. That's like a byproduct of, 
of good comedy, right? Like it makes you think about something like what Bo Burnham is doing in this special when he talks about uh, the way the world works with a sock puppet and talks about genocide and slavery and exploitation. That's like a byproduct of the satire that he's doing, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it, the main goal should be to be funny, no? Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's it speaks to what you were talking about before, like the pretentiousness, because, you know, like there's so much of this, you know, like, um, I don't know, maybe it was Shakespeare who like uh, first said it, but, you know, like the fool is the only one who can speak the truth to power and like comedians like really like take that notion and just run with it like they run Mm. marathons with that concept and it's like okay but like i mean you know like everyone like wants to be like you know lenny bruce or like um bill hicks where you know like like so much of like so much of like bill hicks's stuff is like not him just being funny it's him like talking about like his acid trips and like you know, learning about himself and how, you know, like the government's out to get us. Bill Hicks is not funny. Honestly, I would agree. Like I've seen a couple of Bill Hicks's things and like, they're only like moderately humorous in my, in my opinion. I, I would say that he's like, he's one of those, like he's like a bummer of, influential comedian because i feel like he has influenced people to absolutely not be funny and just kind of shout things yeah and like and you know of course like the fact that he died young and like just you know cements him into the cultural furniture of being an important figure whereas like like cultural furniture is a good phrase i've never heard that before that is a that's a really good phrase. yeah i'm i'm loving this i got we got cultural furniture we got a really good mark maron impression uh, thank you. <laughs> I just feel like, I mean, I was just talking, you know, I'm talking about Bo Burns inside mainly, but I mean, it's like, and I, and I'm a, I'm a, I don't know what you'd call I mean, I like Bo Burnham. I like the specials that I've seen of his on Netflix and stuff. Like, I think he's, a, I mean, it's inarguable that he's talented. He's like an extremely talented person. Mm. Uh, and whether you think he's funny or not, like he's just like, he writes these, you know, very complicated songs and he performs them on the piano. I mean, he's just, he's, he's talented, you know, Mm. but, um, and I found his other specials quite funny. And this one has very funny moments as well, but it's like, again, it's just like by the nature of what it is like that he shot it himself in this room. And it's got the, the whole like COVID cloud hanging over it. And he's talking about depression and suicide and stuff. And it's just like, I, I get it. It just reminds me of like, um, what's that? Uh, Australian lady who did that <laughs> comedy spot. I can't remember these fucking I, people's I names. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. uh, and I know that I haven't seen it. It the it's it's a it's a person's name. Yeah, it's, it's not like her, it's not her name. It's like Gadet or something like that. Oh, Anyways, yeah. it's like that. It's like these ones that are where you're trying to the the point of the comedy special is to make some kind of political point or some kind of cultural point, which is fine. But it's just not for me, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. Mm. I'd rather watch an F, a, a comedy special that is funny, that is nonstop laughs, that is like joke by joke, everyone hits. Like a Bill Burr special is like that for me. Bill Burr is funny, nonstop. Like, I have no problem. And, you know, not to mention he who should not be named, but Louis C.K. Louis C.K. is funny, nonstop, if you watch one of his specials, you know. It's just, these people are are funny and they're telling funny stories and funny jokes and it, and it works nonstop. Nanette mm. was the name of it. Nanette. Oh, right, right, right. All uh, right. Yeah. Like she I did think a second Hannah one. Gadsby. Mm. Yeah. 
I never, I, to be fair, I tried to watch this and I didn't uh, make it. <laughs> I, I watched about 15 minutes of it and there was like no, there were no jokes in it. I, was, I didn't know what I was supposed to be laughing at. She was just talking. Yeah. Which is fine. Well, I mean, that's what you're into. That's fine. I mean, I, it's just, it's not anything I'm interested in. And again, the Bo Burnham inside is, it's good. It's way too long. It's like 90 minutes. But, um, there are moments in it that are very, very funny. There's thing where there's a moment where he makes fun of uh, gamer culture, which is really great. There are a couple of songs about Jeff Bezos in it that are really funny. <laughs> you know, there's stuff in it that's good, but right, like for the most part, I just think it's like way too long and self indulgent. And you know, it's just I, I just want to see a I just want to see somebody do stand up or something funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I those laugh. still exist. I I mean, you you say yeah. that, but. All the stand-up specials that you watch, even the ones where people are up on stage trying to do stand-up and trying to be funny, like fucking Sebastian Maniscalco. These people aren't funny. Like, they're just people up there who What's, are not funny. Like, who who is a funny stand-up besides uh, uh, Bill Burr, Tom Segura, and, and wait, Louis C.K.? I mean, who else is there? Nate Bargatze. Nate really... Bargatze? See, I've never <laughs> you, even heard of that. He's He's got stuff on Netflix, and I think hey, it's really funny. I'm looking him up right now. I mean, I will. I will, I will watch honestly, his like, special. I, I will really like. You know, not not that there's like sides to be taken here, but I'm gonna agree with John because, like, you know, I, I've seen like so many comedians on their own podcasts, and honestly, it's ruined me for uh, comedy like specials. Like, like I try. I tried to watch one. I can't even remember which one it was, but like with um with uh, Rogan, and I was like. Okay, so you're just gonna yell for an hour and talk about how like things weren't things aren't the same as they were in the seventies and eighties. Good for you, pal. Like and like uh, Andrew Santino. Like I like his podcast a lot, Whiskey Ginger. Like he's very funny on that. But like I tried to I tried to watch one of his specials on Prime, and it's like like I I am not I I see like the act. And I'm like, okay, it's an act. And I'm just... That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. When it's not authentic, it's like when you watch somebody doing a performative sort of angry comedian action mm. on the stage and you're like, okay, he's not actually angry. This is part of the performance. Obviously, it's always part of the performance, right? But there's some comedians that it comes through as like, this is fakey, you know, as opposed right, to right. other comedians where it comes off as legitimate. Yeah, like like Segura that, is like anyway, very that. yeah, like Segura to me is like very natural with how, you know, like going from like his you know, like I don't watch uh, the Your Mom's House podcast anymore because like it just for me it's like way too gross and just disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he likes to watch videos like really like uh, like videos of like the video yeah. of, of him breaking his own arm. Like I can't. Oh, yeah. Like he and he was watching that and just like laughing at. It. I was like, I can't even watch it. Much less, I can't imagine if that was me. I would never be able to watch. Yeah, that. and like he had like Fuck he had up. his uh, his trauma surgeon on like the other day, and like they were talk they were talking about it like uh, you know, oh, like his surgeon was like, I don't want to see that again. He's like, what? You're a trauma surgeon. Like I don't want to see that again. <laughs> but uh, could you send it to me? <laughs> <laughs> and like he was talking about like he uh, like. Like at one point, like he was doing rehab and he was like bench pressing, <laughs> and he was t- like, his his doctor was like, hey, "So how are things going?" Oh, you know, it kind of hurt when I was bench pressing. Like what? 
you were doing what? You know, a bench pressing. Like, I know what bench pressing is. <laughs> Why were you doing it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find that uh, definitely the podcasting side mm. of things. Although, I mean, I don't listen to any of those podcasts because I feel like they're too long. I like to watch, like, I'll come across videos on YouTube and shit. Of, right, like, right, right. You know, funny bits from Bobby Lee's podcast or, or Tom Segura's podcast. Or yeah, like yeah. This. Or um, that guy from the real world, whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> you would know more than us. <laughs> no, well, he's a big comedian now. He's got all those guys. He's like in that circle. Um, Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn. Oh, I don't like that guy. <laughs> well, yeah. he's anyway. his. I don't mean I don't have anything against him. I don't, I've never seen a stand up really, but um, I do like he has he has one joke where he, he's because he's apparently he's, I think he's from Louisiana and he says yeah. uh he goes I came from some t- same town as uh as uh. Pete Maravich and Harvey Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald, both great shooters. <laughs> that's a pretty good. That's that's not bad. Yeah, either. yeah, it's clever. Yeah. That's clever. Anyway, yeah. So inside, you know, check it out if you're so inclined. But uh, you know, I just feel like I had to say something about it since it's brand new and everybody's talking about it. But um, yeah, I guess I should say also I wouldn't mention this, but I I rewatched this TV movie called Joseph. Which I'm obsessed with when I was a kid, uh, and I rewatched it now on iTunes, and it's still great. And it made me cry a lot at the end. I cried. Wow! And it felt really good, actually. It reminded me of Kevin watching ET. I bawled. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, let's get to our uh, our main review here, which is. Snow Falling on Cedars, directed by Scott Hicks from 1999, starring Ethan Hawke, Yuki Kudo, Rick Yoon, Max von Sydow, James Reborn, James Cromwell, Richard Jenkins. Lots of, lots lots, of people. Lots of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of uh, people you will recognize from the 90s. Absolutely. Like James Reborn. Yeah. Just a classic guy. Alvin Hooks. Um, and also these two kid actors who I think if we're going to, when we do uh letterbox roulette, I was going to say we should just eliminate the two kid actors okay, and go through to James Cromwell. Sound, sound right. But, Cause the kid yeah. actors, like, especially the yeah. Reeve Carney who plays young Ishmael, he's been in like six things. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, this is a, a movie, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so Snow Falling on Cedars involves a Japanese-American man who's been charged with murder in the, I think, it, late late 40s, early 50s, mid-50s? It's in the, and, in the synopsis uh, on Letterboxd, it says in the 1950s. Okay. It, it, well, it, it is 1950, because during the trial, um, they say it is the nine-year anniversary uh, since the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Oh, oh that's okay. right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so very, you know, Japanese-American man on trial for murder in a very small and very racist uh, community. And so it kind of brings up a lot of the bad feelings from the, from the war. And, but they're also trying to sol- solve this murder. And uh, the main, one of the main characters, Ethan Hawke, he's a journalist, and he used to be involved at a young age with the uh, wife of the guy who's on trial now. So he's having conflicting feelings because he's still very much in love with her. So, um, 
And yeah, I I picked this movie because I thought, you know, uh, A, no one had logged it, and like looking at the cast, I was like, hey, you know, this looks this looks pretty interesting. And so, you know, why not? Let's let's give it a try. It is it is so appropriate that this is like a, a forgotten prestige movie that no one's ever seen or talked about, uh, given its subject matter. <laughs> like yeah. uh, a movie that's like trying to reckon with um, the American, uh, let's say, rounding up and internment. Yeah, putting a Japanese internment. Thank you, mm-hmm. thank you so much. <laughs> Sorry, the internment of uh, of Japanese Americans in uh, during World War Two, which is uh, an awful part of American history that uh, we don't talk about a ton, mm. you know, like through, through people's uh, like education and just in general, it's not, uh, not something that we often reckon with. Uh, this movie tries to do that. And so uh, this movie was ignored. Yep. <laughs> Is that the That's reason? the only reason, <laughs> the only <laughs> reason this movie was ignored. Um, but no, I, I think that I liked this movie. I, I've got problems with this movie. Um, I think it, uh, just like it, it earned that, uh, that Academy Award nomination for cinematography. Absolutely. I often liked the score, even though I would say that it's like pretty basic and that like, it also seems like it would get nominated for an Academy Award. This is, this is a movie that should have, or expected to be nominated for Academy Awards. For sure. I, I'm pretty sure that, um... That at least uh, Max von Sydow uh, and uh, and maybe James Cromwell thought they would get some uh, supporting actor love, but uh, it, it uh, the things that I don't like about this movie uh, mainly have to do with Ethan Hawke, and I thought it was a bad sign that uh, at different points during the movie, even though I had noticed that he is missing an arm, I kept forgetting that he was missing an arm. Um, and I thought that was fascinating. Like this, this movie doesn't know what to do with Ethan Hawke, uh, except to like just force him into a leading role uh, where he shouldn't be. I okay. Speaking, I, I got to get this off my chest right off the bat. Okay, speaking of the arm, the scene at an hour thirty-two where his arm is amputated in the flashback is the first time I realized he only had one arm. Wait, what? I had no fucking clue this guy only had one arm. his first scene you like see him like pull out his notebook and use his teeth to get the I, pen out he like, also uses he uses his teeth to pull on his glove i literally wrote a note for that saying just great little piece of direction him pulling on the glove with his teeth <laughs> no idea why he was doing it just a cool idea I had no he idea is, it, never like, he's definitely seen like you can like see that he doesn't have that look that I, hand. I paused yeah. it right there. I said he doesn't have an arm. I was like, is this a reveal? Or are we supposed to know this already? <laughs> no, I rewind all the way reveal. to the beginning of the movie. I watch multiple scenes. I'm like, holy shit, he's only got one arm. Wow. I didn't notice this. How could I not have seen this? I did not see it. That's on me. <laughs> like I, I blame the editing. The editing is so rapid fire. Like, mm. when you do see him do stuff like that, even in that scene you're talking about with the notepad, his arm is sort of hidden behind Richard Jenkins, the, the bad arm. And yeah. he pulls, I agree, he pulls the notepad out and he's using one hand and it's very obvious. But, like, I guess I just wasn't thinking, like, why is he only using one hand? I guess I was, maybe he's, like, holding a briefcase or something with the other hand, you know? I was like, he's a reporter. He's got on the go. He's trying to get mm. stuff done quickly. I, I, you know, I just wasn't thinking about it. And I was just like, I started 
looking at other scenes, like every scene he's got one on, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. Never saw it. That's me. Hey, what do you want? I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, it it took me a long time to realize like, oh, that's what's going on. Like I I kept seeing him using like one hand and being like, well, that's kind of weird. And then it's like, oh, Oh. He, he even he pulls the glove on with his teeth a second time in the car later on, and I was like, they're going back to that well a little bit too much. Now. <laughs> <laughs> they should probably relax with the pulling the glove on with the teeth thing. You know, it's, it was cool the first time. I don't know, <laughs> but it's like, he has no other way to pull a glove on. Right, right. Uh, only, yeah. But I did, I did, I along with that that good piece of direction that I wrote down, I did write down also that Seidel, he has the, the cushion that he throws into the seat at the beginning of the trial. Mm. I love that too. I thought that was a cool little touch. Like yeah, he's yeah. going to be there a while. He puts down a cushion. He's an old man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I mean, uh, JR, you, so you're saying you like the movie. You're on the, f- I, a pass. I, I liked a lot of the elements of the movie. And and one of the first things that I wrote down was like, oh no, we've got trial as framing device for like a shit ton of flashbacks. This is like, this is a structure that is going to bug the shit out of me. Mm. And, and that's the idea of that structure really does bother me. Um, but a lot of those flashbacks um, have enough in them where I was happy. I, I think the, like the, the romance between, uh, Ishmael and uh, shit, ha- ha- and Hatsue, mm. Hatsue. Um, basically, all of that fell flat to me. But um, the the stuff more involved with the murder, um, or, or the crime, the murder that he's on trial for, that may not be a murder. Um, that stuff was all a lot more interesting, and and you know, and that that sort of stuff just got worse when like. Wait, so Ethan Hawke like has information that would exonerate this guy, but he's just gonna hold on to it because like he's still mad at that fucking Jap bitch. Like yeah. it's just like, oh my god, dude. I, I hated is, I hated that rough. line when he said fucking Jap bitch. I was like, oh, what yeah. where it's, does this coming yeah, from? Like <laughs> a, a different movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like who is this person all of a sudden? <laughs> like he would use this kind of language yeah. to describe this woman that he's in love with, apparently. Yeah, especially, like, when his father, you know, Sam Shepard, like, we see in the flashbacks that, like, he's, like, the only guy in town who's, like, sticking up for the Japanese residents and, like, it's costing yeah. him his, you know, their livelihood, his newspapers having to, like, go to four pages instead of eight. Um, yeah, so it's like, you know, it's like he's holding on to this bitterness. Yeah, I mean, I thought I it was a... I, I agree with the, the love story is a weird like hurdle for him to have to overcome to help an innocent man. Like when he has knowledge that this guy is, you know, he has knowledge or, or information that could help this guy, but he's not going to do it because he's bitter. It's just like, so, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't feel earned. Like it doesn't feel legitimate at all. Mm. And, uh, that's, that was my biggest issue with it also. And just kind of like the, I, I, I enjoyed the film aesthetically a lot. I thought it looked amazing. And uh, I, I'm i on the fence about the editing. Like, I like the editing. I like the idea of it. It's very, like, uh, like a Malick film. Or, like, I was also reminded of... I just watched My Winnipeg recently. 
I was reminded of some stuff in there, like the just the sort of dreamlike editing that was going on in there, and also Baz Luhrmann's editing in a lot of his films seems similar to just like this rapid fire crossfades, and you know we're in and out of flashbacks very very quickly, and there's like little glimpses of things here and there, and I, I like I like all that. I'm not sure it serves the the end goal of the story very well, but I I really enjoyed looking at it, and. uh but yeah, I just don't. I, the the love story didn't do anything for me, and I feel like it's not. I, I at the end of the day, like I don't really understand what what Ethan Hawke sees in Hatsue beyond we used to fuck in a tree, and I need to get that again. You know, like I don't know what they're why they're in love. Like I don't know what they have in common. Mm. Like he, everybody in town, everybody in town hates Japanese people. But his father likes them. But he also like doesn't like Japanese. Like he's also like arguing against his father. You know, doing this shit. I guess because it's making their lives difficult. But it's it's just bizarre. You would think he'd be automatically empathetic because he's sleeping with this. You know, this Japanese girl, mm. and he's in love with her. You know, beyond sleeping with her, he's in love with her. And it's just strange that he he's <laughs> like I remember uh, he goes to the he goes to look at the the old newspaper clippings or whatever of his father's thing and his mother comes in and says you know it's not the worst thing in the world to be your father's son and i was like yeah i agree like your your father seems like a perfect person like he's just a nice guy doing the right thing all the time self-sacrificing he's fucking sam shepherd you know what yeah I mean? it's just like what's the issue like why are you why don't you like your father and then it's you know it's revealed that through his sort of his newspapers, again, it's making their lives difficult. But it's just like that. This is something that you're going to hold against your dad for doing the right thing. Mm. Ethan Hawke's a creep, and then his whole like weird. I just need to hold you one last time. <laughs> he's and he's like stalking her and chasing her and shit. I, it just it played very strange to me that whole that whole yep. section of it, you know. But shot beautifully, <laughs> just. Mm. Beautiful shots of him stalking this girl and, uh, you know, being an incel for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one one of the things that like really detracted from the movie for me was like for me like uh, some of the some of the score like especially in the war scenes you know it's like this overly dramatic like choir music I was like this is a little heavy handed and then like with yeah. the with the overlapping voices. Like yeah, that was weird too. I like that was design. really distracting, and I, I did not appreciate that aspect of the movie. I didn't mind that, and there were the first time I noticed like the weird sound was uh, when the coroner was on the stand, and we had the flashback to the coroner's office, mm. uh, and you can still hear them talking in the courtroom, but the audio in the flashback is much louder. <laughs> And I, I, I thought that was bizarre, and, and it was confusing at first, but I didn't hate it. I mean, again, it's 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 trying to evoke like that, that again that that dreamlike quality, uh, and maybe like a, a flashback of a coroner's office is a weird place to try to evoke a dreamlike quality, but um, you know, I don't know. I thought the coroner um, I was like, this small town coroner has he never taken the stand before? <laughs> like he was such. Like he was like like mad at oh, the they questions. They were all mad though, right? Everybody who took the like, stand was like angry about being asked questions. Like yeah, the, yeah. the woman who owned could, that land, yeah, and but she she probably isn't standing on trial as a witness like all the time. Like the coroner 
you gotta imagine like he's he's done this before or should have done yeah this before. for sure like i don't know how many murders they have in puget sound or wherever the fuck they are you know yeah i mean they're they're on i don't remember if they named the island but they're on an island it's like san pietro san pietro county yeah um, but i think that like, includes all of the islands off the uh off the coast maybe, right there and it's like like i don't know like it might be like further s- south than puget sound because i think like that's up around like seattle so that might be a more like metropolitan well, I area just, but i, I, I don't just know. mean the the northeast united states yeah, like yeah, i don't yeah. or northwest united states rather i don't i don't you know i don't have any idea it's it was shot in washington apparently in whidbey island mm. in washington but um i don't know speaking of the the just going back to the editing real quick and how i was saying it was like malik i i thought i was like oh, this is a lot like like a terry malik movie right and then oh. I saw that the editor it's edited a Tree of Life. Huh? It's a fictional island. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. San Pedro. So Pedro. The, the editor worked with Malik, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, wow. Cool. This is, uh, and the score, I like the score. I don't know. I didn't have any issues. I, I think the score is maybe overused. Like, there's a lot of score in the movie. It's pretty nonstop, but... Mm. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it because I normally I'm not a huge fan of James Newton Howard and uh, I thought it worked pretty well. Mm. I'll tell you one thing that happened early on that I that I liked too, uh, and this is kind of a stupid thing, but I mean it's just like it seems like an obvious sort of idea. But when they're showing Ethan Hawke watching his watching the woman from the you know he's like in the balcony of the courtroom mm-hmm. you know, and then. It's like panning across the bars that he's looking through mm. at her, and then it cuts to like the f- it's panning across a fence when they're young, and he's watching her through a fence. I, was, I don't know. I thought that was a good. That was pretty solid. Like that was a good like uh, jump cut, you know, mm. to to show us to introduce those characters as young people, you know, to show us who they are. And I thought it really worked well. Sam Shepard plays Ethan Hawke's father. Mm-hmm. This is the first time. Of two times that he does that? Oh. Anybody? When's the second time he plays Ethan Hawke's father? It's a year later. He plays Hamlet's ghost in Hamlet. Oh. <laughs> in, uh, uh. He, he, he's he's my favorite Hamlet's ghost in any film. Sam really? Shepard. He's great. Yeah, he's amazing in the scene. Nice. Uh, Ethan, he's acting circles around Ethan Hawke, obviously, because Ethan Hawke well, yeah. didn't really know what he was doing back then. But uh, I think he's much better now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Sam Shepard just... Great, great Hamlet's ghost. Um, this is uh, produced by Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall mm. of Star Wars fame. Right. <laughs> Not sure. No that wonder that. It was so. No wonder it was so woke. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Shang Tsung from uh, Mortal Kombat plays uh, the defendant's father. Right. In yeah. A flashback. And uh, the guy, Daniel, the you will be next guy. Yeah, and Daniel von Bargen <laughs> plays the guy, plays the um, dude that he's trying to get the land from. Right, the guy from uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, and Seinfeld. Yeah, how about? Oh, right, uh, Seinfeld. Right, right. <laughs> how about how about two appearances from uh, Zach Orth of uh, like the Wet Hot American Summer Group as Sheriff's Deputy Abel. Oh really? Oh, no, I, no, I didn't know. I didn't notice this. I haven't seen Wet Hot American Summer, so I don't. <laughs> I've only seen it once, and I didn't think much of it at the time. He's like the, he's like the the tall chubby guy. Oh, but yeah, he's Is he's like yeah. uh, when they're going out to the boat for the first time. Right? He does. 
Richard Jenkins makes it sound like Abel's about to do something dumb, <laughs> but he doesn't. It's fine. You know, it's funny that you said Seidel and um, Cromwell might have expected Oscar gold here, but for my money, Cromwell completely underused in this. Like mm. he has like one scene where he does anything. Yeah, I, mean. I, I think you're right, but he basically all of his lines are like to to reinforce like hey let's not be racist yeah uh, and <laughs> yeah. like so he gets to be like the the really like good guy judge um which is an interesting way to present that because in most films like this you would have more conflict and more like oppression yeah. mm. coming from places of power that they have to overcome but this guy's like totally on their side right immediately no, yeah, when they bring in the evidence like, we're gonna listen to this evidence i'll tell you it's, that much. it's all of the it's all the fucking regular people in the town that, yeah. that are the problem right yeah uh it, it, but it, in mex Cito is, is underused as well uh we don't get half of the trial like we don't see like the defense, uh, like give their case. Mm-hmm. We only see him like asking a couple questions to uh, the prosecution's yeah, I agree. Uh, witnesses, and then like his his closing argument it is basically like only a reaction to James Rebhorn's. Uh, but I did think like Max von Sydow, uh, like acting old, giving that last speech. <laughs> Seems like something the Academy honestly would nominate mm. if oh, this I movie agree. had gotten more attention. Right? Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I thought that was a but great speech. But it was good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, obviously, I they think, think they, they knew it was good because that. they hang on and then shoot it in one in one scene, right? I mean, yeah, one yeah. shot. Yeah. So, which which I liked. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, again, I I liked I liked that part, I, and Max von Sydow is is good in it, uh, but that. Like the the lawyer, the defense lawyer in general is underused, and mm. it's almost like this could have been like a, a two and a half hour movie with more of the defense um, doing stuff. Not that I want that. Just <laughs> I wonder if that was something that was cut out. Mm. The uh, speaking of Oscarbation, where the the moment where the Ishma- of Ishmael's redemption, where all the Japanese people stand up before. Anything is really accomplished. Give even. me a fucking yeah. break. Yeah. They stand up and they bow to him, and it's like it's such a weird, awkward moment because it's happening before the resolution of the case, right? Mm. Like we, the judge hasn't made a ruling yet, and I was really waiting for the judge to be like, "Look, listen, this doesn't change anything. We have to retrial. We're gonna have to do it again." You know, I was like, "This is really <laughs> awkward." But then, in retrospect, it's just like Scott Hicks saying, "Well, this scene has to happen." Where where can we put it? Because after the judge says you're dismissed, everybody's just going to be excited. Nobody's going to be bowing at Ethan yeah, Hawke. So right, <laughs> has to happen now. Yeah. Well, I, the the solution to that is uh, don't have it happen. <laughs> right. We don't need people bowing to to the white man because he decided to be nice finally. <laughs> bowing to the white man. Well, they had to do the, had to do the call so back true. from his father's funeral. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Were they? Yeah, they were very uh, sad about his father dying. Mm-hmm. I love, um, I love the like. There's actually like threatening language in that where they're like, and I know you'll, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you'll take up his. Uh, I forget how they worded it, but basically, say like, we know that you'll be just like him, or or else. Yeah. That, that they don't say the or else, but I was just having fun. With yeah, that. all of that that um, whole last like ten minutes or so is. I mean, really, where it falls apart for me, like the that part and him doing the right thing and getting all of the credit for it. And the fact that she actually wants to like hold him after that, you know, because he overcame his lust for her and wanted to save her husband. Mm. I I just couldn't stand that. I was like, it's just so like, 
saccharine and lame and mm. again just like oscar season trash i'm not sure when this movie came out during the year mm. when was the release date it had to have been oscar season right you would think yeah i mean like they're not going to release this very wintry movie in the heat of the summer I would january guess. 7th that might have been might have been well, passed mm. no so january 7th 2000 yeah th- it probably got hold on oh right yeah this january is 7, 2000 this probably oh, got came out, uh, a, Tor- a December Toronto. limited. Well, it came out in the the film festival uh, TIFF in uh, September of the of '99, and then it Chicago October, limited yeah, okay. December twenty second, and they had a premiere okay. on the 9th of December. So you're right, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just I couldn't stand all that sort of Hollywood bullshit that happens at the end of it. Mm. But I like the direction. I like the editing. Uh. And I love the cinematography. And I like the score. Mm-hmm. And the story is backloaded towards the end. And everything sort of just resolves itself at the end. And I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. Is this is this the only... I don't think I've ever... You were talking about the internment earlier. I don't know that I've seen a film that uh, that shows the Japanese internment before. Yeah. yeah I, I don't I, I, so. The only... The only thing that I can think of was the second season of The Terror, mm. um, which I did not watch because I heard it wasn't very good. But uh, apparently that show is set in the Japanese internment camps. And yeah, I can't... If something has been made about it, I I probably haven't seen it. And if I saw it, then it wasn't very good because I don't remember it. There's a movie from 1990 with Dennis Quaid called Come See the Paradise, which apparently is about that as well. Mm. Yeah, something... <clears throat> Man, it feels like something good needs to be made about this. Uh, you know, like we've got all kinds of, of good and and not good World War Two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in both in both theaters, um, isn't what they called it like the Japanese theater and the mm. the European well, theater, the Pacific theater, I guess. Oh right, Pacific yeah, yeah, theater. Pacific okay. theater. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't have much about this, and that's. That's a shame. You can also it, watch the uh, the documentary about George Takei. Apparently, he talks about because he was in the internment camps when he was right, a kid. Yeah, yeah. There's a and I, he did a graphic novel of it. Um, like they they called us enemy or so, something like that. Okay. It yeah, and I, I don't want to say this movie does like a great job dealing with the internment camps, but it does. Uh, kind of show you the process of rounding people up and how unfair that was. And then once they're in the camp, I think it focuses more on Hatsue, uh, you know, getting together with her husband than actually showing us, like, difficulty of life there. Mm. Um, Did you guys notice that when they're rounding up the Japanese and, like, uh, bussing them out, you know, that a lot of the soldiers, the American soldiers, are in World War One uniforms? Of course, I did not notice no. that. You didn't like the like I'm saying like the doughboy like the helmets that they had from World War One that kind of like spread out like they have big brims on them. I don't know. It's like very recognizable. And I was thinking to myself, is that an authentic like it's World War Two, but the it's U.S. The hadn't hadn't necessarily joined the war yet, so maybe they still had a bunch of World War One uniforms and shit that there were people had to wear. I mean, like, probably they redesigned. Yeah, I was I, I was know. like, that's an interesting choice to actually have that because i feel like it would uh it would make history buffs really happy but it might confuse people who aren't history buffs mm. it, or or it would go totally unnoticed right. by people who are yeah. history buffs right yeah. yeah 
anyway, uh, Rick Yoon, worst performance of the film for me. That's just uh, that's the only note I had left. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like Rick Yoon in the movie. I thought his uh, I don't know. Anytime he had to emote, he was not great. Well, I mean, part of his thing was he doesn't emote. Mm. Well, I mean, he uh, does a couple American, of times. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> the the moment um, like the flashback where we actually see his interaction between um, between him and the guy mm-hmm. he allegedly killed. Uh, that's not good. Where he's like. I wanted to kill him, and you just see him kind of like glowering down mm. this ladder at him like that. Sure. That was not a great, uh, not great. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't a fan. But I, don't, I mean, it's like Ethan Hawke is probably better in his role, but Ethan Hawke's role is so much fucking worse that it's hard for me to like really care about Ricky. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he's not, he's not a, he's yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do necessarily, so it's fine. But, um, all right. Well, I mean that's I, I have nothing else. Okay. Ratings. Uh, I'll go uh, with a three. Like there's there's enough that I enjoyed that it gets a, a positive rating. I also gave it a three. Hmm? Same. Nice. Okay. Threes all around. Yeah. So we're really we're really um, you know in unison lately. Right. I like uh, there's there's a review on Letterbox of it that says uh, it's four and a half star review and it says this movie definitely proves the happy accident theory of autorism. Wow, <laughs> backhanded compliment. Yeah, <laughs> like, I've never seen any of Scott Hicks' other stuff. Um, I saw. Sh- I've heard good things about Shine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, like Jeffrey Rush won the uh, Oscar for that right. one, but uh, right. I saw it once, like a long time ago, so. I don't know. He also did the uh, Zac Efron, The Lucky One movie, which also has Taylor Schilling, which is really weird. Mm. She seems like she could be his mother. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just probably just, you know, they're probably the same age, and I, I don't have no clue. But um, anyways, okay, well, let's uh, let's play a spirited game of uh, Letterboxd Roulette. And we're going to use Ethan Hawke, Yuki Kudo... Uh, Rick Yoon, Max von Sydow, James Reborn, and James Cromwell. Okay. That's JR's kid just <laughs> wailing. Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. Renee is, uh, she's enjoying herself. <laughs> good. All right, here we go. Here's the dice. We're going to see where we fall. One. It's Ethan Hawke. Uh-oh. Classic. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Ethan Hawke yeah. movies, and I've not I've not seen Sinister or The Purge. Uh oh! <laughs> but you've probably seen things seen, like I've seen all kinds yeah. of shit. Yeah, you've seen, I've, seen the, I've seen Maggie's Plan. You saw The Magnificent Seven? I did. Yeah. I didn't see that. I saw Maggie's Plan. That's yeah. I got that. I haven't seen Training Day. I feel like that's a big Ooh. miss. That is a big on my one. part. Jesus, too. I know. What I know. Are you doing? All right. Well, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> who who wants to go? I've seen ten of his films. Ten. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what century do you? Yeah. <laughs> that is weak, my friend. I know. Weak, weak, weak. Wow. I think Jar is going to beat me though, because I'm seeing a lot of films here that I have not seen that I know he has. Mm. Go ahead. 30. 30? Wow. 30. 
That's too bad. I've seen 32. <gasps> oh, oh Adopt a highway, son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get on it. Great film. Great film. Great performance. I can't believe I won two weeks in a row. Yeah. Fucking so, <laughs> I feel like now that you've seen 30 Days of Night, you also need to watch Daybreakers. I've seen Daybreakers in the theater. What? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. It's awful. Well, I haven't seen it. It's I haven't terrible. seen it, so there's a problem. Uh, it is garbage. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see it. Uh, Spirit Brothers are trash. Um, I can't believe this. I'm going to have to watch Clerks 2. <laughs> well, we don't know that yet. Hang on. So we're going to do the I'm generating a number. Uh, it's 1462. So let's go for it. 1462. If you guys get there before me, let me know. Oops, way too far. I'm on, I'm there. Okay, what is it? Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, hold on, I'm checking to see if, I'm checking to see if it fits our, uh, our length. It does, okay. Um, this is one of Satyajit uh, Ray's okay. acclaimed movies called The Big City. Oh, I've seen that. Which is apparently on both Criterion Channel and HBO Max. Uh, I have also seen it, but not in a long time. Okay, cool. Well, I have... Uh... Oh, <laughs> Kevin loved this movie when he watched it. <laughs> now, uh, to be... To not throw myself under the bus, I'm going to say, like, when I watched this, I was probably not in the best mood. Like, I look back on so much of the things that I watched when I was living in Mid-City, and how I, I liked nothing. I was just in oh, a very yeah. bad place You're too in my life <laughs> at that point. So, <laughs> so, so I, I will watch uh, this again. And my you know. yes, I gave this four stars amongst my letterbox friends, uh, letterbox people that I follow. Uh, four stars is on the lower end. A lot of a lot of five stars and four and a half stars, and then Kevin's one one and a half <laughs> st- sticking out like a sore thumb there. This uh, is. Uh, I would, Sorry, go ahead. Hey, Kevin, if you don't want to watch this, we can do another one. No, no, uh, since we have both seen it. No, I'll, I'll watch it again. Um, this this been feels four like years. a good chance to give another another shot. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like that's the thing. Like I know, like around the time I would have watched this was like not a great time. So, all right. That's uh, funny because I think I have a a Ray film coming up in my Criterion challenge. Oh yeah. The Indian, oh, the Indian selection. It's, it's not for a while, actually. Yeah, and it's Pather Panchali, so. <clears throat> All right, well, uh, that'll be the movie that you guys have to watch that I do not, because I am awesome, and I've seen lots of Ethan Hawke movies. I remember coming out Mr. of Training Waking Day. Life. <laughs> I was the only, I was the only white person in the theater when I saw Training Day, mm-hmm. but the ethnicity of other people in the theater was all Asian. If you can believe it, I don't understand why there were like six Asian people and me. Wow! Seeing Training Day in 2001 or whatever it was, and uh, I remember coming out of it and thinking Ethan Hawke should be nominated for an Oscar for that, and then he was. Yeah. So, <laughs> pretty good. All right. Um, for next time, it's going to be my pick. Mm-hmm. That is correct, right? It is my pick. Yes. Okay. We're going to watch The Funeral, which is directed by Abel Ferreira from 1996 I believe um stars uh 
Ferreira stalwart Christopher Walken and uh, Vincent Gallo and Benicio Del Toro and Chris Penn and Annabella Sciorra and uh, yeah it's uh, one of my one of my most liked Ferreira films well sort of middle of the Ferreira list but I love it I do like it a lot so uh, oh it's got Isabella Rosalini in it too I forgot and of course Paul Hip and Victor Argo who are in literally every Abel Ferreira film from the 90s so get ready JR get ready I was just thinking, I can't believe I haven't seen this. I know, right? It's going to be... Now, listen, I'm not going to... I, I, This movie exists on DVD. I don't have the DVD. I have a laser disc of this that I'm going to watch because I don't... Whoa. I'm not sure. I'm sure it's available to rent, though, like elsewhere. But I remember the DVD was in full frame, which is why I got the laser disc. Because it's in widescreen. So, good luck. Um... If you download it, you'll probably get a full frame, so be careful about that. But if you rent it, maybe. And I don't know if the library has it or not, but I'll have to look. Kevin will uh, will will let us know that eventually. So yeah, that'll be the next episode: the funeral from Abel Ferreira and uh, the big city, Sajid Ray. Until then, thanks for listening. Visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com. Email us filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And, oh, you know what? I meant to say this on the show when we were talking about the Criterion Challenge. Real quick. Criterion Challenge 2022. Is this thing happening? Are you guys going for it again next year? I don't know. Wait, have people set up like a list for this already? I'm sure there will be, right? I mean, or you could, I mean, you could theoretically make the same list couldn't you i mean just do it again yeah i suppose but it wouldn't be good for john because jr does you know like he's seen everything but for somebody like me i could really you know use i love having the list because it forces me to watch all these movies that i otherwise would probably never get to Mm. or not get to in a while like i'm really glad i was forced to watch shortcuts and vagabond because they're amazing This is not something I'd rule out, but I'm definitely not committing. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In the second week of June. Yeah. Yeah, We're not. Is it the first week of June? Yeah. We're not quite halfway through the the first list, but I was just I was thinking about the other day. I was like, I wonder if there'd be a 2022 challenge. I'd be into doing some other type of challenge, even. Mm. Yeah. Like a Twilight Time challenge or something. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah. Might not be enough movies actually to to do one. But um, break your bank on that. Well, I have I have about twenty releases from Twilight Time, so that'll get me through the first part of January. Right? <laughs> no. Um, all right. Well, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye. Stingy bitches. <laughs>